Hi there, it's James O'Halloran here. Tom Savage has started a number of successful ventures, and in this conversation, he's very open and vulnerable about what it's been like working as an entrepreneur for 20 years. We talk about founding, not CEOing, ambition versus being peaceful, calm, and balanced, his criteria for choosing collaborators, and that being vulnerable is just quicker. Please enjoy. Um, here we go, Tom. Well, thanks very much for having me to your garden and beautiful house. You're welcome. Nice. Two meters distance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could just about see you over there. <laughs> I thought, Tom, by way of introduction, what maybe we'd do to start with is um, talk a little bit about 2016. So that's when sure. we first met about four years ago. You'd not long done your TED Talk, but it'd be really interesting to hear what you were working on and you know what you'd just been founding and all of that. Sure. So I think we first met when I was running Huli, which was a people search engine. And I was probably about three years into this journey of having started something which I went out and raised venture capital money for with a huge vision, a moonshot, as they call it in the trade. And I was here in Bristol and looking for some support with some of the decisions I was making and looking for coaching, which is why I came and spoke to you. Yeah, I remember sitting in the CEO, that the founder turned CEO seat. And like most founders slash CEOs, it's a very difficult, very difficult job that requires a lot, if not everything of you. And so at that time, I was, as I say, a fair bit into it and dealing with that roller coaster ride that is mm. trying to change the way things work to build something new. Yeah. And then I was also thinking a lot of my Tom thoughts about how the world could be and should be. And uh, that was about the time that I was, was thinking about doing a TEDx as well. Think, thinking your Tom thoughts, what's that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> What's in there? What's going on? Well, what's I rattling guess, around? Like, I guess the reason why I mentioned that was um, that when you're a CEO, you're kind of, you're laden with an expectation of what you should do, what you could do. There is a narrative out there as to the all-seeing, all-conquering founder slash CEO type. And that narrative is skewed by the survivorship bias of the people who end up doing really well. So, you know, the kind of the names in the press, like the Jobses and the Musks and, and, the, and the Zuckerbergs are, are actually very extreme characters. Mm. But most CEOs feel like they have to be like that because that is your high watermark. Mm. So when I say Tom Thoughts, I mean that there's this image of the way that you should be. And then there's the rest of life which as a CEO, you often don't get a lot of chance to focus on. So for me, it was doing my day job and then having these um, sometimes counterintuitive thoughts or undercurrent thoughts that were pulling me away from that and wondering, you know, and this is where the TEDx was interesting perhaps, which is I felt split between this kind of desire to go out and achieve and um, fulfill that kind of uh, narrative of, or seeing all conquering entrepreneur. Mm. And then another part of me that just wanted to pack up and go and live in the woods and spend my days simply fishing and reading and writing and not building anything and not having to do much and being in inverted commas lazy as we might be described by the kind of capitalist ideal, mm. but actually being, you know, peaceful, living a simple life, stepping close to some degree of enlightenment. And that was that was a hard one for me to to marry in my mind. It felt like the two were opposites. And yet both were things that we aspire to. You know, the idea of being calm and peaceful and living a great and full life 
is very um, different to being all conquering, all seeing, all doing. And I found it hard to figure out how to combine the two in a single entity being Tom and therefore Tom thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, you know, when you describe it and, and thinking back to your TED talk, the fact that in the one person and at the one time you, you, can yeah. ha- you can have the aspiration and the ambition and all of that and be good at that. And then on the other side, you can also want to be lazy or go fishing or, and, and it's such a conflict. And I, I do see that quite a bit with clients. And it's interesting because often it's some version of something in the middle, like that might end up being the right path for that person, not something totally extreme. Yeah, I mean, I, I have felt in the past extreme. I have felt like the two are very difficult to combine and yet both deeply desirable and therefore um, confused as to on which day, at what time, with what energy level, which of those outcomes I should be pursuing. Yeah, It feels very either or. And I guess at the time I was trying to combine the two and a lot of the work I've done has been how does one live a calm, balanced, restful, wholesome life whilst also achieving, creating new things, being entrepreneurial. And I, I haven't found the perfect balance, but it's it's about balance. You know, and if you imagine somebody trying to balance, there's a lot of wobbling in there. Um, and <laughs> yeah. there's there's also a lot of, um, you know, falling one way or other before you get better at that balancing process. So for me, that state of balance, maybe if you can picture somebody quite literally on a tightrope, it takes a lot to get to the point where you are actually still in what what other people might be a very difficult place. Um, and there's a lot that can pull you either way. And I feel I'm still on that path towards trying to find some kind of balance for myself. But I think I'm getting better at it. Mm. Um, it's funny. I just have such a strong image. Do you Have you ever seen the film Man on Wire? Yeah. So do you know the bit where he's in a garden a bit like this and he's, he's practicing before he's strung the wires across the Twin Towers and he's practicing and he gets all his mates to untie the cords and just pull and pull and pull. And he's like, but he's yet able to do it because yeah. of all the practice, I guess, that yeah, he's put yeah, into yeah. balancing and and like, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just it's a, that's one of my favorite films, well, it's exactly. a strong image. And I think that, um, you know, I think when he started, he was probably wobbling all over the place. So, of course. You know, and they're strong. On a wire, kind of an inch off the ground or something, exactly. right? You know? Yeah. And there's a, there's, it's very hard to get that right. So I feel like, you know, I, I've chosen this dichotomy between ambition and achievement and peace. And, and I think that that's, that is a hard balance to strike. You seem much more sanguine about that, the fact that you've chosen it. I think I think four years ago, maybe, if I can say, I, I don't think you were so choiceful about it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why I did a TED, TEDx was not to have my name on a screen but or my face on a screen even, but just to have an excuse to work through a problem for myself. <laughs> so somebody once said that they only really understand something if they've written about it. And a TEDx is quite a big, piece of work that one does to try and fully understand a topic that you can choose yourself. So my topic was, you know, why do I feel so conflicted? And so balance is the the opposite to conflict in mm. a way. And so that was a task I set myself mm. to try and understand it. And I, I came to the conclusion that I was just conflicted. It was a it was a state that I exist in. And I think once you come to terms with that state, then you actually ironically become a bit more balanced because you know that you are a tightrope walker and you're not on solid ground on either side you're you're accepting of it just to kind of give us a bit bit of scale so tell us a tiny bit about the company you're working you're founding then and what you raised if you're happy to sure yeah so um so the company was called huli we went through a number of permutations as many companies do i think in the end we raised about six six and a half million dollars and 
our ultimate vision was to try and build a search engine for people. So we recognized about a third of all searches on the web for a person were for a person. Personally, I feel that the interactions between pe- people are more important than data. So I was really driven on this idea that if you could find the person that you most needed at that particular moment in time, that would have a huge impact. Mm. So I was quite mission driven, but the the mechanics and the the technology behind trying to make that happen, uh, and also the product side, so trying to build something that people really wanted and needed, that was much more complicated than coming up with a nice vision for the company. Mm. So um, so that's where I struggled. I, I think I had this big vision, but I was not particularly good at, or at least we we never quite found our rhythm with regards to, to executing on something that, and I think a lot of it's luck. I think, you know, there are some companies where first go, they come, uh, they find something and it works and it goes mm. off and there are others that do it hundreds of times and eventually get there or not at all. But I think that's where we struggled, which was we came up with a lot of different variants on that product and they worked in different ways. It's hard now, a few years on, to look back and know whether we should have doubled down on some of those or or continued to pivot. But it was, um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting journey. And, you know, I met a huge number of amazing people and gained a lot of skills. But it was frustrating because I was trying desperately to add value and build something meaningful and we didn't get there in the end. So that's a, that's a hard thing to, to realize. So that kind of adds another point, which is, seems significant, at least in my mind. You actually raised all that money before you had a product. What's the best way of languaging that? Yeah, so I think the best way of languaging that is that we did have uh, early products. Okay. Um, there were times when we were making revenue with products. Okay. I think that... For different reasons. So we had an early product that was focused on helping people in recruitment, okay. which actually worked quite effectively along the lines that I've described. But it resulted in recruiters essentially spamming people and it was working for them, but we didn't like it. So the actualization of the product actually resulted in a product that we didn't really want to stand behind, even though it was making money. Wow. So we then we, we then shifted and we did something that I think Y Combinator often describes, which is we came up with a solution looking for a problem. Uh, so we built an extraordinary piece of technology that scraped billions of profiles around the web and figured out who James Halloran was and to, who Tom Savage was. But we were then trying to look for the, the problem to then apply that to. And I think we were trying to boil the ocean. So we we're trying to do the big thing before we'd really found our small little mm. uh, niche upon which to get the product really right and then scale up. Um, it's it's funny, when you look back retrospectively, you realize the classical mistakes you make. Yeah, yes. But at the time when you're in it, it's, um, you know, even though you actually know this, you might not be able to see with quite such clarity where you are on that journey. So, yeah, I think Hootie was actually about seven or eight different companies over the course of four or five years with pivots and changes. And it was really trying to find something that aligned our values, our ambitions, our desires, our, our kind of moral compass. You know, it's it's trying to get all of those things in line. I'm not mercenary enough to build something that makes a shed load of money, regardless of of the, the quality or the mm. content. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably my own worst enemy in terms of pure commercial success. But I think we wanted to do something meaningful. Uh, and we wanted to do something useful and helpful. And um, and that probably meant that we kept pulling and pushing and picking at the, the thing that we were making rather than 
maybe others who might have just kind of soldiered on with something that uh, I found to be maybe boring or unexciting. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I love that um, solution looking for a problem. There's another quote that's similar, which I'm so guilty of, is just falling in love with your solution. Did you yeah. <laughs> did you experience that? We were like, yeah. yeah, this is just the best thing and just kind of feels I'm also, you. A, a, you know, I can also envisage the world as I'd like it to be so I can see the future sometimes can blind you to what step you need to take next in order to get to that future because the horizon is so far away and dazzling <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so looking at this horizon that you can see but not realizing that day to day you need to work on very simple small things so you know i think that there's a great article by paul graham who founded y combinator and he talks about doing things that don't scale in the early days which is all about really focusing on a tiny little subsection of a problem uh, and getting it so right and then expanding out rather than trying to do something big. Mm. And that we often fail if we try and do something big, but we often succeed if we do something so small that we don't think it's meaningful mm. because we then find things adjacent to that small thing which help you scale. Yeah, I guess there's um, a, probably a degree of ego in there as well, right? You, bigger is better and all there. that. There's a lot of ego, but there's also a lot of the the standard narrative and trying to work out how you can get to be running a company that has a certain kind of scale mm. rather than just focusing on something you're passionate about and solving a small immediate problem yeah you know and again i use y combinator a lot because they've probably got more experience than anyone else but building things that people want stepping out and in a smaller scale as possible doing something that's really valuable to people you want something that uh, a very few people want a lot you don't want something that a lot of people want a, a little bit uh, yeah yeah yeah, so so one of the things you talk quite a bit about, like in your blog, Simple Tom, is founding and not CEOing. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Why, why is it so meaningful to you? Like, what's the? Because it feels like when you wrote that and pushed it out into the world, it, it kind of had a ripple. Like, it, it people really picked up and and kind of. I think it felt to me anyway. You're the first person to codify that, or or at least kind of put it out into the world. Yeah, I now and get teased by my entrepreneur friends. They just call me a founder, not CEO. But uh, but I'll stick by that. I'll take it. Um, so maybe let's start from the perspective of if if people don't even if they're not in the entrepreneurial world, like what does it even mean? Like to segment sure, those two. Sure. Sure. So uh, what I mean is that um, that uh, I talked earlier on about narratives, and I think narratives can be unhelpful in terms of enabling you to 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 do what is right for you. In my case. I have now founded multiple companies and I really enjoy the first year or two, that beginning process. And then I have, for whatever reason, got to a point where I'm really unhappy. And that's happened enough times now to me for me to notice that pattern. So the way I describe it is that I'm a founder of things. I love the process of, of, of coming up with an idea and actualizing it in its early stages. I'm not somebody that really loves building that idea. So said another way, I'm somebody that likes the kind of zero to one, yeah. but I'm not somebody that's that's very good at the one to 100. So I would say that I'm a founder and not a CEO, meaning I'm I'm somebody that starts things, but not somebody that can build a big team. I'm probably not a great leader, not a great manager. And I think both of those skills are very much needed. And the narrative that I described is is that people tend to be forced into this idea that when you start something you've got to see it through mm -hmm. and it's going to be a tough journey but you just got to hold on and do it to the best of your ability and since i wrote that article i've had dozens of um, entrepreneur friends who've approached me and said 
I feel exactly the same way. How the how the hell do I get out of this? I I don't feel any kind of joy like I used to, and I wish that I could get back to what I'm good at. And and that can mean different things. It can mean leaving. It can mean finding somebody to help run the thing and moving into a different place, mm. or it can actually mean repositioning yourself so that you continue to do the work and um and different things work for different people so yeah it, it was basically a challenge which i think is the narrative is driven driven by venture capitalists by that survivorship bias and not enough by what's right for the mental health of founders and what's right for the the skill set of that person uh, there are some people who can do both yeah but they are quite rare yeah it's, it's fascinating because to me one of the most fundamental aspects of my coaching is really understanding who the person is and what they're naturally good at, what they love to do, what's, what's, you know, where's the passion lie in their life? What are they motivated by? And, and as you kind of spell out in that article, it, the, the skills to get something off the ground, to breathe life into it, to go from zero to one, like to go from a concept, like a, you know, whether it's like full kind of color or just something, a few hazy kind of themes, like to go from that to being able to get something off the ground is totally different to going from like this, the question of scale, the, yeah. the skill set is totally different. Like, there, you know, there's also the circumstance. So some companies just go off like a rocket uh, and really it's about holding on. And I think mm -hmm. that can be quite exciting. And therefore you can have somebody who just literally clings on for the ride and does very well. But then there are most companies which take incredible grind to get off the ground and incredible grind to build up through, the, through those first years. And so I guess my point was, you know, let's let's try and really understand ourselves better and put ourselves in the right position to maximize what it is that we're best at mm. um and that's about knowing yourself and then knowing what those different roles and skills are do you feel like you have something you can explain to us that helps you to make decisions or helps you to understand when you know in that case you said kind of a year to two like of founding something or when you when you know enough is enough like, yeah it's called experience <laughs> it's called doing it like four times over and over again and seeing the pattern through years and years of that early stage being happy and then later being unhappy. I mean, it took me three revolutions of that process. I wish I'd learned faster, but hopefully by my being a bit more public about it and saying it's okay, there, that I can help other people speed that process up. Mm -hmm. Because nobody, you know, you mentioned that, that, that the Founder Not CEO article made a little ripple. And I think it was a ripple of people just questioning that rather than sticking to that fundamental narrative. Okay. And that's where I feel like it's, you know, where I can be a tiny bit of help, which is just have a think about that. I mean, there are CEOs who are great, who should carry on and just going through a really rough time. That's yeah, very different yeah, from somebody yeah. who's just doing the wrong job for them. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I think that's the thing when you, when you kind of spend your time doing something that comes naturally and instinctively to you and there's some satisfaction, it's not work, right? You mm. know, like it's kind of a cliche, but but that's true. And I think, you know, it seems to me that so many people don't really have that experience. And so they have nothing to base that on. And so work is difficult and hard and it's, you know, it's not pleasant and da da da. But I think it, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, in my own experience, I've had moments where I've absolutely loved what I'm doing and it's so easy. And then moments where I just feel like I'm pushing water uphill and it's so difficult. Uh, I'm not for a second suggesting that to get things done, there aren't going to be very difficult times, that you're not going to have to push yourself through certain areas. But I think that I think that if you're in the right place for your skills, it should feel like there's momentum and that things 
uh, work rather than don't work. There is a, a dangerous narrative around entrepreneurship that it is so hard that people will then put up with huge amounts of pain, which maybe they needn't because they're actually doing the wrong things. Mm. And I think what you've got to separate out is what is the pain of starting stuff up that happens to everyone, regardless of how good you are at it? And what is the pain, which is actually you're just doing the wrong things? And those are hard to understand. Totally. Do, do you, have you kind of learned anything about how to understand the difference between those two in your own experience? I mean, yeah, I've learned over the years to try and read in myself when I'm in a state of a flow and when I'm working well and when I'm doing things for egotistical reasons or because I feel like I should. And, and that's where coaching and therapy, again, can help tease out your motivations, your desires. Uh, you know, I talked about balance earlier on. It, it's about trying to understand, you know, where you are on the tightrope and whether you're being pulled or pushed by the right or wrong reasons. Mm. It's a lot easier to help other people than it is to <laughs> recognize it in yourself as well. Yeah, obje hence, objectivity. Yeah, hence, hence the, the discussion earlier about vulnerability, which is I think a lot of people deal with these problems uh, in isolation. And actually, the most valuable times for me have been when I've been able to share problems with other founders, uh, with people who understand, with therapists, with coaches. And the more that you can just say, this is really hard, and I'm not sure what to do, and open up and be vulnerable, the more help you'll get. Mm. It feels the antithesis of being a kind of an entrepreneur where you're meant to say that everything's going great, and you're killing it and crushing it. And <laughs> Uh, so on but actually the most successful entrepreneurs that i know are often the ones who are able to be vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, and it means that they work through problems a lot more quickly and they get the solutions they need a lot more quickly so i think yeah if i could if i could encourage people it would be 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 able to be vulnerable albeit at the right time with the right people but that's really really important Nice. And I'm curious, just thinking about the fact that you're a founder, not a CEO, how does it, is there a pattern to how it works for you in terms of the dropping of an idea or, you know, like, is there, does that tend to follow some sort of like common kind of thing, having a shower one day and, you know, you, you know, like, how does it actually, how does it work? I think it's following your curiosity. So if, if you're talking about idea generation, it's the ability to have time and space to be Do you able come at it generate. that way, idea generation? Do you kind of sit down and go, oh, I'd like to have an idea or does it not? I kind of uh, imagined it might. It's 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 a process rather than a moment normally. You know, I think that one of the things I'm not scared to do is to go and have conversations with people about things that I'm interested in or ideas that I've got. Mm. I think a lot of people are reputationally concerned that they need to have things sorted out in their head before they go and chat to nice. people about yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas Guilty. I'm a slinger of ideas. I'll start something up. And it won't work. And a week later, I'll just ignore it, <laughs> regardless of whether that looks flaky or... Wow, know, that's so... That, that's uncommon, I think, isn't it? I think it is quite uncommon. I think, um, I think that the more that you do it, the more that you realize that it is just curiosity. Mm. Um, it, it's back to that point, which is I'm just not scared of going out and trying to get things started and not worrying about whether or not they don't work or not. I'm also not scared about seeing a problem in the world and trying to think about how to fix it without the shouldn't or can'ts or won't or, you know, all of those kind of blocking words or blocking feelings. So I, I normally see a problem and it will be way above my pay grade, but I'll still feel confident enough to have a, have a crack at it. Mm. And, and, you know, the, the world is so rife with things that could be improved that it's very easy to, to notice and to, 
and to spot things that could be different. So, you know, I've got a, a laundry list of ideas and it's more about time and finding the right people and having the, the, the attention span. I mean, it can feel sometimes a bit like somebody described it as painting multiple houses through their letterboxes. Um, <laughs> I kind yeah. of want the time to focus on each and do them right. But it's also wonderful to be able to be curious and roving. So when you ask, is there a process? I think I'm discovering that, you know, mm. over the next few years, I'd like to become better at having an idea, finding a person to work with it, knowing when I get on, when I get off, knowing, you know, I've I've put a bit of money behind a few of these businesses and how much should I put behind it? How long should I work? Which ones are good ideas, but not suitable for me to be involved in? There's this lovely... I think it's a Japanese framework called Ikigai, mm. which is about, I think it's what, you're, what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and uh, what you can make money doing. And I think that I'm trying to align myself to ideas that really hit a symbiosis with all of those things. Because there are lots of ideas that I come up with which just don't quite fit me mm. or could make a load of money that I'm not that passionate about. And so it's about kind of tuning into your values, what's meaningful, and also people you want to work with. So I kind of have this phrase, which is good companies and good company. And what I mean by that is I want to start companies that do good, and I want to do it with people that are good company to mm. be with. So I have a, a piece which is like, I'll only start things with people that I want to be friends with in 25 years' time. Wow. And I think that that's something I'm do, trying Do you hold to, yourself to that? If I have to wait 25 years <laughs> to see. But yeah, I'm trying to be a lot more mindful about spending time with people that I love, regardless of, you know, it would be easy to choose to spend time with someone who could be wildly successful, but is a bit of a, yeah. a, bit of a Machiavellian money grabber. I think there are some CEOs who are very successful who I do not like and I wouldn't want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a, it's a kind of trying to be a choice about not pursuing success or ambition and pursuing something that feels like it's going to result in me having a great journey as well. You know, and if there are lots of ideas and lots of people then hopefully it shouldn't be too difficult to try and align those things and you know saying no is very important um, mm -hmm. in terms of if you are painting multiple houses through letterboxes, make sure that um, you're not, you know, you're not painting the wrong houses through the wrong letterboxes. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very pictorial, though. It's a tiny, tiny little brush. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess what I'm saying is it's really hard. So you just don't yeah. want to do too many of them. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, saying no, knowing when to say no, that's just to jump onto a different topic that might be interesting. Ayahuasca. <laughs> From, uh, yeah, that's quite an extreme jump. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this short version of our conversation. In the full conversation, which will be out soon, Tom talks about his experience of the psychedelic drug ayahuasca and many other things he's tried, tested and learned from. Click follow or subscribe and you'll get notified when it goes live. Cheers. <laughs>